We are back. The Whiskey Hue. America calls Anthony Black and also Anthony Brown, which leaves a fool as the guy in the confusing middle. We're brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. You can start singing right now. You're a singer. Let's do this. We'll reach our billions and billions and billions of fans. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, let's start this off. I want to, today is a special, special day. We have a guest intro. We have a guest with us, and she's near and dear to all our hearts, mine as well. And look, on the Whiskey Hue, we aim to create content that is useful and accessible, entertaining. Um, You stop by, learn a few things, have a few drinks, and you're, you're having a few laughs while you're doing it. And this is a formula that's worked for us, and we like to continue sharing it that way. We're going to go a little bit, slightly turn up the notch on the heavier portion of the conversation today. And this is a conversation, and we have an expert in the space. The reason we're having this conversation, but this should have been done years ago when we first started, because we've had so many requests for this particular conversation. Um, you know, anytime I'm speaking somewhere, people who know that I have a podcast say you should discuss mental health. Um, social anxiety, stress, and things, and not from a gloom and doom perspective, but how can we manage it? How can we help it? How can we regulate it and have it work in our favor? Let's call it that. Um, And we're going to have an expert. We have an expert with us today who's going to do this uh, and break it all down for us. From students, founders, investors, executive, everyone asks for this type of, uh, you know, this dialogue, and they want to hear these kind of uh, tidbits and content. You're in for a gem. So we had a pre-call last week, and I was floored by our guest, so you're in for a treat. Let's get into this in a deeper way. So mental health, as we discussed, you know, it's the status of people in our society we will bring up today, how it has evolved, pandemic, you know, through the pandemic, post the pandemic, many aspects and characteristics of the people uh, in our society have been amplified due to various things in our environment, right? We've all seen different things and people are exposed and they're absorbing things and they are responding in different ways. Some people need help. And, and, and even on a granular level, uh, it doesn't have to be something catastrophic. Of course, there, there are those cases, but we're not here to solve all of that today. But we, you know, people can, and their managing of their day-to-day and how to show up better in their life and in their environment, we can, we'll be discussing a lot of that today. Uh, so again, a focus on how our body responds due to body chemistry. I had, I had a slight idea from my chemistry class or physiological class back in the day, but our guest and all, she really, really broke it down for us well. We can regulate how our body, our body chemistry, how we A, accept things in our environment, how we respond to them and show up. And this is what we're going to discuss. So, Zanal Agnihotri, she's, a, she's awesome, all right? She's my wife's cousin. I'm going to throw that out there first. So, I've known her forever and, I, and she knows this. I've always been fond of her. Uh, I'll just, I'm speaking directly to you. I'm fond of you and your family, right, for a long, long time. My parents and my in-laws shared a mutual admiration, uh, good people doing good things, living with integrity. Let me take this now on a granular level, and you've heard me say this before about you and your family. Um, first of all, let's start with your dad. When I first married into the family, um, he was incredibly welcoming of me. Just, you know, he knew my background. He's like, this dude needs a beer. <laughs> Let me hook him up. <laughs> so everyone was kind. Everyone was very genuine and just kind, really sweet. But your mom and dad, you know, we always make an effort every time we go back to Chicago that we have to see. Even you you and your brother were not there. for so You were in college. You were in California, I think, for a while. We would go back. Every time we went back to see all the sides of the family, we would make sure we stopped by your parents' home just because they're that near and dear, not only to my wife, of course, but to me as well. And there are certain people we always wanted to see. I want to see everyone, but we had to make that one happen. 
so th- thank you to them because I've had phenomenal conversation with your mom and dad about you know, you know, politics. Uh, we'll talk about investing. We'll talk about the economic climate uh, and all kinds of interesting things. And I've always walked away learning something. And it's just, it's just fun. And thank you to that. Now, I'm not done with your family. So we're going to keep it going for a little bit. Um, your nickname, may I mention that? Mm-hmm. All right. So it's Benny. I've only known two Bennies in my life. You are one of them. My mom uh, is, is, was the other. And, you know, and so, you know, my mom's influence is near and dear to me. And after losing her this summer, you need to fill her shoes and yours. So kick it up a notch, homegirl. <laughs> I'm <just> kidding. <laughs> um, kidding. Nothing but love and respect for you and what you're doing. You're you're driven. You're a go getter, marathon runner, all all the things, right? And then after we actually, no, I should say this. After we hung out in North Carolina last couple couple weeks for our Labor Day weekend for our family wedding, it was awesome. I actually got to spend more time with Hank. You're cute. Are you cool? We mentioned all these names. I used I asked sure, permission before ahead. I asked. Okay. With Hank, and it, I, it was awesome hanging out with him and Nisha. So, Jay and Nisha, like, we, it, it was great. We, sh- you know, the cool music interest. We talked about all kinds of things, you know, and, you know, Nisha and Jay are also AP Dylan love fans. So, so am I. So, we're kind of weird about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I love, I love everything he's doing. So, this is the way Up and I looked at this. If the keys to the family are in the hands of your generation, on both sides, we're in phenomenal shape. So I want to say that to you, right? Um, all right, enough of that love, love, love. All right, let's get to the good, good stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> please clean up all the parts. So I, I was looking at LinkedIn. Um, you're not there. So I was looking for your proper title. So give us your proper title. I know you're in social work, and it is phenomenal, the work you're doing, given yeah. our conversation last week. But please take it from there and fill in. Give me a holistic picture as to who you are. Yeah, thank you, and, and thank you for that kind um, introduction. Um, so I... I am a licensed clinical social worker. I have been a licensed clinical social worker um, since 2015, but I have been a social worker and in the field um, since 2010. Um, Currently, I work at Rush University Medical Center, and I'm a clinical manager of our integrated mental health um, psychotherapy team. And I also see psychotherapy patients for the non-epileptic seizure treatment program that um, I partner with with our epilepsy department at Rush. Um, so wear a lot of hats in in terms of like what I do with my social work degree. Um, I've mostly worked in healthcare, and my specialty when I was in graduate school was for medical social work and gerontology. Gerontology is the, um, you know, it's just like the study of older adults. So the populations that I have mostly worked with my entire career have been older adults um, and now more adults. Um, that's just kind of the population I enjoy working with, not to say that I wouldn't enjoy working with kids or families or, you know, teens. Um, it's just that's that's what I've been specialized in. Uh, yeah, so that is kind of my my background. Um, I've mostly worked in healthcare and only rec- not only recently, I want to say like since 2016, 2017 is when I really started to do more therapy work. Um, in my in my little stint of, of work also though, uh, did some did some consultation to rehab facilities and then also at one point I was an assistant administrator to a 164 bed 
rehab facility. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was definitely a little bit more a little more different than my social work um, kind of experience. Had to do a little bit more of that admin work, um, administration and leadership. Uh, so I have little parts of that as well in my background. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's me a little bit more professionally holistic. Yeah, yeah be- better than I could do. All right, love that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Now let's talk about your drink of choice. We are the whiskey hue. I don't know what you brought today. It's a mystery. What'd you bring? Yeah, so in um, spirit of whiskey hue, I'm not normally a whiskey drinker, but I am currently drinking um, screwball peanut butter whiskey uh, mixed with this like watermelon juice, and it tastes like I am having a peanut butter jelly sandwich right now. Seriously, it's really sweet? It's not very sweet because the juice is not very sweet. Okay. But... um, yeah, my husband Hank introduced me to this whiskey, and he uh, he mixed it with uh, orange soda one time, and we were both obsessed. Oh, really? Okay, so I've seen it on the shelves. I've never gone for it. The peanut butter screwball. I've I've seen that flavoring, and and a lot of weird, you know, those coffee ones as well. But I've never tried the peanut butter, so it's good. It's subtle. I mean, if you don't I, mix the other stuff in, would it be straight yeah. peanut butter punch or? I don't know that it was a, like a very strong peanut butter punch, but. Um, it, you can, it's subtle uh, enough where you're like, oh, okay, I can do this. Okay, to someone who doesn't drink whiskey, I Got can it. do that. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna save the story. I want to stop you before you go into it. We're gonna save the story for the end of the show. So that's what we'll be sipping on. That's what Zin will be sh- sh- uh, sipping on. Generally, I don't mix. I just like ice cubes in my whiskey or single malt because I think adding. Anything to it makes my whiskey unhealthy because um, it's, it's on the food pyramid, the top of the food pyramid without anything, just ice, all right? Okay. But, so I minimize my sugar intake. That's what, that's what how, I, how I justify it so I can drink more whiskey. Um, kidding. Where do you want to go with this? So we could, we could set it up however. There's so many things we could ask you because you're, you, you're, all, you're all around awesome in this space as I learned last week. You want to guide where we start, the first bullet point? You want to go the Simp, parasimp, I'm just going to, you know, mumble it to you and then you can, or do you want to go somewhere else? Uh, no, I, I guess we can like just jump right in if that's what, if that's going to be helpful. I think, you know, cause here's the thing, what we, we always find out when we're in conversations and I've seen this all the time, I, you know, I'm in the investment side. So we speak with founders, we speak with executives who are, if we're trying to parlay a founder, a company into something, into a broader conglomerate to acquire the company. All of them deal with these different levels of anxiety or stress. It shows up in different ways in everyone's life, right? And there are ways I've learned from you. You know, I've heard about certain tactics. I want you to uh, bring those to our attention. But in and Alpa, like she's she's been doing some of them as well, and I'm starting to learn some. But share with us, like, kind of how. Wait, first, how our body initially reacts, and B, how we can step back and say, well, you know what? I can mitigate a lot of this noise in my life and yeah. approach it this way. So let's let you run. Yeah, so I think the the first part is kind of understanding what stress is, right? So just to kind of have a broad definition of what that is, stress is the way that we react either physically, mentally, emotionally to to different types of like changes or demands that are showing up in our lives, right? So that's just kind of a broad understanding of what stress is. Now remember, Stress can either be positive or negative, okay? Um, And any situation in terms of how you're reacting physically, mentally, or emotionally to those conditions changing 
or those demands can come from a positive perspective or a negative perspective. Now, most of us are not going to try to change our positive stress, right? Sure. That's um, that's that's kind of an obvious and a given. So usually, it's the negative stress where we experience those challenges, um, the discomfort. Either that might come, you know, mentally for you or emotionally for you, even physically. I mean, like physical stress. Um, is something that sometimes folks will identify first. They won't even realize that like, oh, I'm mentally stressed out or I'm emotionally stressed out. Their bodies are the ones that kind of tell them, hey, you're experiencing Mm -hmm. stress. So depending on the situation, depending on the person, right, there are so many different ways that we can kind of identify what are my, you know, what are my experiences of stress and what's showing up for me right now. So, To kind of build on that, right, like I think oftentimes when we think of stress, we really just are kind of thinking about maybe one or two kind of um, causes for stress. We've got mental stress that kind of that uh, contains like negative thinking or emotional concerns that you might have, right? You might be really angry because of a situation. You might feel a lot of guilt because of a situation, um, you know, you mentioned feeling really anxious. I'm sure, you know, when you're talking about investing large sums of money that that can cause a lot of pressure um, <laughs> for folks and, you know, potentially making more, potentially losing it. Right. So like those are some of those emotional concerns that could come up. But we also want to remember that stress also comes from from a physical standpoint. Right. Like, are you dealing with like poor sleep? Are you using too many substances? Um, <laughs> what? And when I say substances, I also I also mean like, you know, you might be taking an over over counter medication that gives you side effects. You might be on prescription medication that has side effects, right? So that's mm-hmm. still stress to your body at the end of the day. Sure. Um, we've got environmental stressors, the weather, certain noises. I can't stand. I cannot stand when people chew loud. Oh yeah. And that just oh. like gets my blood boiling. Um, <laughs> right? It. So like I can't I can't control someone's chewing, but I can certainly control how I'm going to react to someone's chewing. Mm. Um, a sense of safety that is an environmental kind of piece. Um, and then also social stressors. Anyone any any person that you're engaging with or a group of people. So we we get distress or negative stress from all these different areas. And I think that there's like often a misconception of what, where, what and where stress comes from, right? So you want to start to kind of think about all four of those areas, those general areas and, and start recognizing like, where does my stress come from most of the time? Because mm. then that kind of gives you a better idea of how you can take care of yourself. I like it. I like yeah. it. Um, we all have those uh, external things that we don't appreciate in, in ourselves and in others, right? Um, you were, you mentioned something last week, and I just kicked it up a, a bunch of levels, and I have a lot of questions in that space. But well, let's let you tee it up first. So the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, uh, don't ask me how to spell these words. I'm kidding. But the, <laughs> the systems are in our response, is, and yeah. let's, let, let's let you set that up, and then let's go from there. Let's do that first before I yeah, put Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we start to experience negative stress, um, 
there's the autonomic nervous system that is in every single human body, right? And that um, that nervous system then has kind of two other systems that are in charge of your fight or flight. So when you start to experience high levels of stress, you know, that like kind of survival instinct that starts to kick in. Do I run away from the situation? Do I do I need to fight, right? We also have the freeze part where maybe you need to figure out what am I going to do? Am I running or am I free, um, fighting in this moment? So we've got the sympathetic nervous system that's in charge of your fight or flight. And then you've got like the, the parasympathetic nervous system that's in charge of rest and calm, right? Both of those systems can't be activated at the same time. So it kind of looks like a teeter-totter. It's kind of going up and down, up and down as you go through your day-to-day experience because we just really don't always know what's going to trigger our flight or fight to activate. Now, one small tidbit to remember, fight or flight, the way we've mostly learned about it in school is really thinking about it from the perspective of a crisis, right? So if we are going to use a scale 0 to 10, 10 being like, I'm in crisis, I need to go to the ER for assistance, we're not always at a 10. Mm-hmm. Heck, we're not even always at an 8 or 9 or 10, right? Like that's where maybe we would consider a crisis. Your fight or flight in your body can get activated if you're at a 4 out of 10 or if you're at a 6 out of 10, Right. So negative stress doesn't always have to be extreme. We actually, as humans, want to start to learn what kinds of thoughts we have and what kinds of emotions show up and what kinds of body responses we have at all the different levels of our own personal fours and six and sevens and whatnot because it gives you a better idea of how to help yourself. What do I need to do to bring my stress levels down, right? So let's say, uh, do you want to kind of give me an example of something one of your listeners would experience that fight or flight would get activated on? I'll use that as a way to kind of go over the rest of this. Let's go, you know, let's go from the, let's go the ground up. They're all at similar parallel systems, but let's say a founder raising capital, right? Okay. They're pitching to... 30 people, 30 different groups, investor groups in one week, two week period. Yep. And I bet 90, 95% of those folks are going to say no to them. Not because yep. they don't like this founder, but it's got to be exhausted. It's because we have our internal hurdles and benchmarks that we need to hit. That. Let's, let's start there. Okay. So you've got these presentations that are coming up, these pitches, right? Um, you've got one particular pitch that's coming up. That's what you're preparing for. It's going to be... Monday, 8 a.m., right? That's the first one that's going to start off this week long of pitches that you've got. Um, You're naturally going to feel some anxiety because this is important to you. So remember that anxiety is not bad. Mm. It's the thing that makes you motivated. It's the thing that makes you work harder. It's also the thing that makes you look both ways when you're crossing the street at a busy intersection. Mm. It's the thing that makes that says run when there's an axe murderer coming after you. (laughs) It's also the same thing that says that was really stupid. Why did you say that at last week's pitch? Mm. So your anxiety 
doesn't necessarily know the difference between saying something potentially stupid last week at a pitch versus the axe murderer coming after you. It just identifies threats and dangers. Okay. And its job is to keep you alive. So if you're an investor and you need to find, I'm sorry, if you're this person that's doing this pitch and you need to find an investor that's going to give you money to do this startup, that's threatening and dangerous for you if you don't find that person or group of people, right? Yeah. So for that individual, danger and threat is the rejection. Whereas for somebody else, their danger and threat looks totally different. So our anxiety and the things that our anxiety considers as dangerous and threatening to our survival are personal to us and our own experiences, right? So like someone might be like, I'm so, I'm so anxious and blah, 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 and they might be talking to me and I don't do pitches and I just might be like, well, why are you so anxious about this presentation, right? Mm-hmm. I don't understand the stakes of it, but this person does. So well, that's why like anxiety is very personal to the person and the life that they live and the things that are going on in their lives, right? Um, So that's why it's really important to start to identify, like, what does my anxiety look like? Because we come to our own support networks and we tell them, like, hey, I'm going through this. And sometimes people don't get it, Mm. but they're not always going to because if they don't get it, that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not valid in having your experience, right? Right. So we've got this 8 a.m. pitch, I'm starting to get nervous. Last week didn't go very well. So now I've got the history of last week not going very well and all that rejection. This is really important because if this doesn't work out, there are a set of consequences that are probably going to feel very threatening um, to that individual. So what's going to happen is you're sympathetic nervous system starts to get activated because like I said, right, this is about threat and danger to your survival. This this pitch is really important to you. Getting that money is really important to you, right? Yeah. For this company. So our bodies are designed in a way to essentially use resources within itself to then prepare for fight or flight. A couple of things that you might notice when you're experiencing changes in your body, when the sympathetic nervous system gets activated, your heart rate might increase, okay? Your blood pressure starts to increase. Your, actually, your core temperature, your core body temperature tries to decrease, so that means that your sweat glands become activated. You know, when we're really anxious and we're getting really sweaty, that's what's happening. Your body's trying to cool off. Your respiration rate starts to increase and there's increased blood flow to your major muscle groups. All right, let me explain that for a second. So the reason that the body has to change like this is because it thinks it's going to have to run or it's going to need to fight. Remember, anxiety doesn't know the difference between doing really well at this pitch versus I have to make sure that I get away from this predator, right? Mm -hmm. So your body is literally preparing itself to fight or to run away. So that's why your heart rate increases. It needs more blood so that the blood can um, go to your major muscle groups, right? So your legs, your, your core, your back, your arms, those are the areas that are going to have increased blood flow. Because if you're imagining either running or 
crouching, punching, kicking, what are the parts that get used most? Right? It's your yeah. legs, your core, your back, all those parts, your arms. Um, so that's where the blood flow goes. Now, if your heart increases and your, your major muscle groups need more blood flow, that means that our respiration rate is going to increase um, because there needs to the, the, the blood needs to get oxygenated. Um, so we notice that our breathing also increases. Like I said, your body is trying to actually decrease its core temperature because it doesn't want to overheat because we never know how long the oh, fight or flight is going to have to be for, right? So like it doesn't want to overheat in 10 minutes um, or 20 minutes because you may have to fight for 30 minutes or you may be running for hours on end, right? So that's kind of, the those are the activated systems. Now, the body doesn't just have this like extra resource lying around. It needs to borrow from from within its own other systems. So there's a couple of systems that have to pause so that your body has the extra uh, parts that it needs, right? So here are a couple of things that actually pause. Your immune system is going to pause when your fight or flight is activated. There is no time to fight germs right now. I got to fight the threat or the to make sure I survive because if I'm dead, there's no point in like mm. managing my immune system, right? So your immune system is going to slow down. Um, your digestive system is going to slow down. If you were really truly running away or fighting from some kind of axe murderer, you're not going to be like, hey, pause, I got to go pee, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen. Anything that's going to get in the way of your actual survival, it, we, it's got to pause. So the digestive system pauses. Now, this one is, is fascinating to me. Um, and when I talk about this with, you know, my patients, they're just kind of like, wait, what? But yeah, our analytical thinking pauses. This is, yeah, keep going. I'm, I have popcorn here. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so our analytical thinking pauses. The reason that it pauses is because at that moment when the threat or the danger is so high, the only thing that matters is your survival. So there is no time for logic. There's no time for me to consider facts. There's no time for that. I mean, all of us have been in situations where after the 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 crisis is over and maybe a week or two later, you're kind of reflecting on the the crisis that happened here and sometimes you think, "Well, why did I do that? I could have done XYZ. That would have been so much more easier." The only reason that you're thinking about X, Y, and Z and how it could have been easier is because two weeks later, your analytical thinking's working fine. Yeah. In that moment, it was paused because your mind, your body um, was under the impression you were under some kind of threat or danger and survival was the only thing that mattered in that situation. So, okay, the sympathetic nervous system, that's kind of like a basic premise of what's happening to your body, right? We're also wanting to know, okay, fine. So if stress is doing this to me, what can I do? What can I actually engage in or think of or try so that I can manage my fight or flight? Because sometimes it's excessive, right? Yeah. Sometimes it gets in the way. It, it isn't actually creating motivation. It's creating barriers. So... One of the things that we as humans have to learn is 
when is my anxiety or stress helping me versus when is it turning into a barrier? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you guys a couple of examples, right? Yeah. If I am so stressed out about this pitch that I'm like, you know what? I'll prep for it later. I'm going to go drink. I, I'll prep for this late. I don't need to prep. Forget it. There's no point. Why am I even doing this? And then I just don't, I don't engage in what I got to do to make sure that this presentation is like perfect. I would start to question, okay, well, is my anxiety now helpful or is it creating barriers? In that kind of scenario, I might think it's creating barriers because normally you'd be rehearsing or you're making tweaks to your presentation or you're like pitching it to your friends and your family and like your partners to make sure that it's perfect. But now I'm just engaging in avoidance. Mm. I'm avoiding it. I'm finding reasons not to engage with it. And I'm saying this is important. And I'm also saying that this has this is something that I I want to do. I need to do is it's a goal of mine. Right. So if we got have goals, if we have values and it sounds like your stress is creating barriers for that, then what do we do to kind of reduce those barriers? Now, one very kind of um, tangible thing that we can work on is thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, how do I change my body chemistry? Hmm. Humans have the ability to activate the other system. So I I, I spoke earlier. We have a sympathetic nervous system that's in charge of fight or flight. But then you have your parasympathetic nervous system that's in charge of rest and calm. So when we're engaging in something, when our fight or flight is activated and we slow down enough and we say, you know what, I'm really stressed out right now. The stress is not helping me. I'm avoiding the things that are important to me. And I got to I want to change that in this moment. There are a couple of techniques that you can actively do in those moments to then start to help change your body chemistry. Now, practicing the technique once isn't necessarily just going to all of a sudden, you know, get rid of your anxiety completely. You may have to repeat it. You might have to do it for, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes. You have to actually kind of keep checking in with yourself. But there's definitely a way where you can then send signals to your brain to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this X technique and I'm doing that because there isn't a threat. There isn't danger in this moment. I am physically safe. I am in my office. I'm in front of a laptop. There is no axe murderer. This thing that I have to do on Monday at 8 a.m. is important. And I want to do well. Okay. Taking control back. Yep. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I would say less taking control back and more shifting your perspective. Okay. Yeah. Right. So like you're shifting your perspective. You're thinking about it differently. You're reacting to it differently. Mm. Right. Our initial reaction was, oh, my God, this is a threat. This is dangerous. And then I slow down enough and I kind of talk to myself and say, wait, hold on, hold on. Like, yes, this is important, but the way that I'm reacting is not helpful. And so then we can actually change the way that we react. 
So I'm sure. Do you want me to go into the actual techniques now? Do you have other? Yeah, questions? go for it. Go for it because uh, this is just great. And then I'm going to give you some. Yes, go for it. And then I'm going to I'm going to explain some things afterwards. Yep. Yeah. So I'm sure this sounds, uh, you know, cliche, and um, people might be like, "Oh God, is she is she joking?" Um, I am not joking. Um, diaphragmatic breathing or doing breathing exercises at the right moment can help you to change your body chemistry. So if you notice that your heart rate is increased and you notice that your blood pressure um, has increased or your respiration rate has increased, um, you notice that you're more sweaty and it's right before that pitch, you're more than likely, you know, your sympathetic nervous system's activated. So to change your body chemistry, you want to do something to your breathing because remember, part of the uh, part of the um, activated symptoms is your respiration rate increases. So if I work on slowing down my breathing, then that is sending signals to my brain that says, "Hey, we're not in that that type of threat right now." Go ahead and turn down the sympathetic nervous system and go ahead and turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and turn on that rest and calm, right? So diaphragmatic breathing is one of my favorite breathing exercises. It's just, it's very easy for me to do. I know several of them. Um, this is a quick, you know, you could just go on Google and literally type in breathing exercise and you're going to come across a lot of them. Um, I encourage folks to practice different types of exercises, uh, different types of breathing exercises, because you then get to figure out which one do I like the best, which one's easiest for me to engage in. Like I have a really hard time with the ones that involve counting. Uh, Mm -hmm. I lose count and or I get really anxious about keeping the count and it doesn't really it doesn't do what it's supposed to do for me. I only know that because I've tried so many of them, right? Diaphragmatic breathing is just kind of deciding where I'm going to take my breath from. And that's easy for me. Um, You you know, Atul knows this about me. I I like to sing. I've sang in choirs growing up. And so when you're singing in choir, you have to hold notes for a really long time sometimes. And if you take a breath from your diaphragm, you can actually hold a note longer, Um, So that's just easier for me because I have that familiarity. But I would encourage folks to just do a quick Google search, find a, you know, find maybe three or four different types of breathing exercises and just try them. Practice them. Practice one every day for a minute Um, Mm. and kind of just like get used to doing it so that when you do notice that your fight or flight has activated or your sympathetic nervous system's um, uh, pretty high up there, then thinking about how to do a breathing exercise in that moment or what are the instructions and how am I supposed to do it, you will remove that. You're already, you're already familiar because you've just been practicing when you're fine. Um, it's like playing a sport or an instrument, right? Like, yeah. just practice it. Yep. Um, so that you get better at it. And then when it's time to use it, there isn't, you're not thinking about, oh shit, how am I supposed to dribble? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how do I, how do I, how do I make a free throw? Like, what do I, what am I supposed to do? What are the instructions to that, right? Basketball players don't have to think about that. That's like second nature to them. Yeah. Have these breathing exercises be second nature to you. 
because you've just practiced when you were feeling good. Um, I want to paraphrase something you said last week, and it, it goes right along with the diaphragmatic breathing. So slow, long breaths are yep. from your diaphragm. Quick and short breaths are from your chest. So you utilize both depending on the situation. So hyperventilating is shared air, which is a term I had not even thought about when it comes to breathing, Which, but it makes perfect sense. So go into that for a moment. Then I want to show why this is very important for the founder to be able to regulate this on the spot yeah. and how that can have long-term implications. Yeah, but go for it. Absolutely. So um, the human body takes a breath from two places. It could take a breath from your diaphragm or it could take a breath through the chest, okay? When we're taking a breath from our diaphragm, it is, uh, like Atul said, it's long and deep. But when you're doing chest breathing, it's rapid and shallow. So when we're doing slower and deeper breaths, that obviously cannot work for when you have a need for rapid breathing when your sympathetic nervous system activates. So naturally, without us even thinking about it, our our bodies will start to be taking a breath from your chest. It's just a natural process that happens and we have no... We hardly ever know that, oh, I was taking a breath from my diaphragm and then I switched to my yep. chest, right? It's not an on-off button that you're consciously turning on or off. So... When the sympathetic nervous system activates, you're more than likely probably breathing through your chest. Mm. And that's rapid and slow. And that's also how hyperventilation sometimes can happen because we're breathing so quickly because we're just, you know, we're engaged in that in that fight or flight. Um, So to stimulate and to turn on rest and calm or that parasympathetic nervous system, you want to switch where you take your breath from. So the way that I teach my patients and I actually had to learn myself was you put your hand on your chest, you put your hand on your stomach. You take a normal breath and then that normal breath, if whatever hand moves, that's where you're breathing from. If If you're in a fight or flight situation, most likely the hand on your chest is moving. So what you do is you keep your hand on your chest and your stomach and then you start to really focus on just taking a breath where the hand on your stomach is moving, not the hand on your chest. Interesting. And you keep doing it. You keep doing it until you notice a physical change or you notice an emotional change or you notice a cognitive or mental change. So that's what I was saying earlier. You may have to repeat the skill. You may have to do it for five minutes, right? Um, Or longer. You may have to do it multiple times. So that founder that you're talking about, if they are trying to get work done or trying to perfect their pitch and their anxiety is just so high that they're not able to practice or they keep thinking about, oh, what am I going to do if I, you know, fail this one or this whole week? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And instead of practicing, they're thinking about whatever's going to happen because they fail all of them. Doing this exercise can help them reset, can help them ground, can help them center so that they can do the things that they need to do to actually be able to perfect that pitch. Yeah. And you you mentioned this a little bit too, like, you could do this in real time. Like I, I can yep. be in a situation. I could be giving my pitch 
no one knows where I'm breathing yeah. from. Yeah. No one knows that like my, the reason my hand on my stomach is on my stomach because I'm trying to also concentrate on taking a diaphragmatic breath. Yeah. Right. So like this technique is also invisible. Everyone yeah. knows that you're breathing. No one knows where you're breathing from. And you have full control over that. So let's take it. So you, you presented it. It's invisible. Let's take it away from the clinical aspect and how it shows up in a person pitching. And then we'll, we'll kick it up to the executive level as well. So the person pitching, it's not like if we're going to, if we say no that day as an investor, we may see you again six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road in another startup, in another fund, with another group of people, whatever it is. Present yourself well there. If you can regulate it, because we're going to give you feedback and we look at it this way. Hey, this person, we're going to say no to 90. We are forced to say no to 80, 90% of people because we have to return our fund, right? Essentially at the end of the day, we have to get our ROI. We know that if we can hit all the, if we can get 10% return, that's not good enough for us. We need to get a thousand percent return or we're going to go broke. Essentially, that's how our model works and where we have to accept it that way. So if we say no to you and the way you respond to that no, if you're, if you're anxious and you start getting defensive, then that turns us off because in a real environment, you're going to hit so many hurdles. You're launching a new, think of how many hurdles Airbnb or Uber had to hit before they became what they were, right? Mm-hmm. So many anxiety driving instruments in that in play there. So you learn how to regulate and show up and that way you can be your best self and maximize. And like, like you said, you said something amazing last week and then you just mentioned it again. Your analytical skills get thrown out of whack. That's why you hear about, oh, you get sick if you don't, you know, if you are too anxious, if you're stressed a lot, you'll get, it suppresses your immune system. That's why the blood comes from there or your analytical skills go down or long-term illnesses, dementia, all of these things kind of start to set in if you are in hypersensitive or hyper-stressed states for a long period of time. Chronic stress. Yeah, exactly. And then let's kick it up to the executive. How many times have we had to speak somewhere and, oh man, am I going to say the right thing? Are they going to accept, are they going to hear me the right way? And I've broken it down where I, I find things that work for me. And then even for the executive, hey, you know what? If Let me just be looser about this whole thing. I've already known I've prepped enough. They're going to get the messages I want to convey. Let me be as loose as possible so they don't think something else that I didn't intend, right? So as long, if, if you can regulate the, exactly the things you mentioned, I, I like that. I don't know if I'll do the whole hand on the chest and the stomach in front of people. We'll see. It might get awkward. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, if you can learn to do that and then you can self-analyze without it on your, in a dire situation like when you're in front of people, then that'd be all, that's awesome. And it makes so much sense. The way you broke it down is so simplistic. It's very, very complicated, clearly, right? But you broke it down in a nice way. Yeah, and remember the the hand on your chest and your stomach is when you're practicing because yeah, yeah. uh, and that's the that's the piece that's really important, right? I have practiced this so much, um, mostly because of my field. I mean, I teach it almost every single day. So for me, doing a diaphragmatic breathing, I mean, I could do it in my sleep at this point. Um, yeah. So practice that way so that when you're in that high stress moment you know already how to do it like you don't need your hands on your hand like your chest or your stomach but like even if you did you don't need it on both you could kind of walk around doing a presentation you know kind of just like hand on stomach taking it off using your hands bringing it back just being like mindful where am I taking my breath from right so that practice piece is actually really important just to get a sense of as to what's happening with you, and just all these trigger, you just 
all of these triggers and all these things are amazing. Are there certain things you've done? So let's go, let's kick it out. Or did you want to continue on the spiel or we could get into some other things. Let's say, how can you do, you can do things to minimize things that bring anxiety or stress into your life, right? And that can be huge and they can be low level. Like I, I can drop something even personal. I remember when I had a milestone birthday um, you know, I remember, so I said, I'm almost at a halfway point in my life or, you know, and I said, I need to, there are certain things that don't bring as much value to my life as I would want them to. Hey, I'm not, I'm not seeking that, but Hey, if some things are hindrances or have negative or toxic impact in my life, then I want to minimize those. And I remember I said, I thought, okay, what actions have I pursued? I've had successes in my life. I had major failures in my life, right? And I, then I looked at, I did an assessment at the stage, and this might help some of our younger folks, even some of our older folks listening. What worked and what did not? And what were the outcomes? And then what were healthy? You can be great outcomes, but it was unhealthy. So like, learn how to figure that out. And I remember going through that proper inventory of everything in my life at one point, And I thought, how can I show up and be better moving forward? So I minimized hanging out with certain types of people. Not that they're bad people. We're just in different places in our lives. If I'm married, have kids, I'm not going to be in the club on a Tuesday night where like my single guys are, who are my age, but I doing, you know, but nothing against them. They have to live their best life because they're looking for a wife or something or <laughs> whatever it is. You, and then other things that were, hey, there's people that are supposed to be in your life just because of, let's make it proximity. Let's not go any further than that. You can define it as you want, but they're toxic. And they're, there's this influence like, hey, they, you know, things can be as simple as it's a two on a scale of 10 is how difficult it has to be. They make it a nine out of 10 is difficult and it's unnecessary. So it just brings unnecessary stress to the situation that or certain actions you have in your life that, you know, don't make sense. I I was just talking about this. You know, I just divorced from the bears um, recently. (laughs) I'm on sabbatical, fifth time in my life. And this is a long thing. Decades and decades of support for this team and they've crushed me every time. But. I thought I was just having, I was on two different text chains this morning saying, you know, if I had, if I had put the effort of my fandom love and support towards this team into just learning more about investing, which I love doing anyway, I'd be, I'd be two X Warren Buffett right now, probably. Right. So I want to readjust my priorities, I think. Uh, but you know, these are the kind of things you could self analyze what makes sense in your life. And it's okay to stop being around things that don't help you progress and because then it can minimize the anxiety. I used to feel certain anxiety when I have to call someone still, certain types of people, and just from any gender, any race, whatever. A lot of them look like me, a lot of them don't. So I get a little bit and my wife can see it. She's like, oh, you have to call that person, don't you? Because they're just kind of annoying to have to talk to. Uh, but then I have to self-regulate, but I'm like, well, why am I doing this call? It's a waste of time. It's a 10 minute call that's gonna take two hours for no, unnecessary because whatever. But I, then I have to put myself in perspective, put it all into perspective, and Alpa's really good about reminding me about that, <laughs> but these kind of things. Are there things that you've done to kind of mitigate some of these unnecessary anxiety, stress-inducing scenarios? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, what you're basically talking about is doing a reflection on values, right? Yeah. Like, yep. I think that, um, I think we all should take some inventory of of our values and the direction of, like, what life you want it to look like. Yeah. Um, what brings you fulfillment? What brings you meaning? <clears throat> and I think our society has done a, um, unfortunately, a pretty shit job of teaching folks that your emotions are not like these categories of good and bad, right? All of our emotions, hard or not, are 100% necessary 
because they're telling you something when you're in situations. And that's what tells you, I don't want to talk to that person anymore, or I don't want to um, in, invest in the bears anymore, or I don't want to um, read that book anymore, go to this place anymore. Those hard emotions that we have, they're messengers. All of our emotions are messengers. And so you can't do a proper inventory of your life and your values if you don't make contact with all of your emotions. So when you're, the the bears, for example. Yeah. Boo. Just kidding. They are, <laughs> they're, they're causing you some level of distress. They're pissing yeah. you off. They're making you heartbroken. They're <laughs> devastating you every Sunday that you're watching them. Like they're three and they're oh and three for God's sakes right yeah. now, right? Yeah, like, exactly. and the season just started and they're playing like crap. You're having an emotional reaction and that emotional reaction is giving you a message that when I watch them, I don't like that. That's not positive in my life. Yeah. So then you get to choose. We don't get to choose all the time what is going to be in our life or not, but sometimes we have the choice. Yeah. And then you get to decide like, I'm not going to keep doing this to myself. Yeah, exactly. It's not worth it to me. Because you keep thinking next year's going to be better, but uh, it's not. (laughs) <laughs> and, then, and this is there was so much promise and if you listen I know we're talking about a very something kind of trivial here but I, it was fun I, just a little quick tidbit you know this Avon our little guy he watched me watching me root for the Kansas City Chiefs against the Bears because it just felt so I felt alive for the first time and he's like what's wrong with my what's wrong with dad he didn't know what the hell's going on and then so I have them they want to earn some money I said go I have 30 Bears hats this is going to happen anyway I have way too many hats right and I only wear three of them well all I have is Bears and one Cubs hat and some Bulls hats I said well go sell 90% of the Bears hats because I don't need that many A they think it's because I don't like them which is they're both true everything's true in this case I said so I'll give you a big chunk of the money so they're all excited about it but they're confused as well because they, they know nothing else <laughs> but my support yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you one thing. I bought some Michael Jordan hats. They just arrived today. Because you know what? He's no longer plays. He can't break my heart. He's, <laughs> and he's the GOAT, right? There's nothing that can touch that. Somebody, Something can touch it, maybe. I've not seen it yet. Hint, hint, current players. Um, <laughs> but Kobe was probably the closest in my heart uh, that came to him. LeBron's a beast, but he ain't it. Um, and, you know, but... Michael Jordan no longer plays, so he can't break my heart as a player. So I'm going to wear that hat. I'm going to rock it all like all I can. I can't wear the Bears hats. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. But let's. You mentioned something last week as well. Um, people who okay. So in your social work setting, and then we should go into some one liners if you're cool with it. Like some things like these motivational one liners. I think are kind of interesting. I'll see how you respond. So you, you mentioned like how when you're assessing your your patients, your, your people coming to see you, there's different things that. It's not every outcome is supposed to be what there's no there's no uh, kind of broad stroke. You're saying, hey, when is good enough enough for you or when is enough good enough for you type of thing. So someone's looking for a certain outcome. It can the goalpost can move for other individuals Uh, kind of jump into that because it's it's for us who don't understand this social uh, kind of space like, uh, you know, your what your social worker space, like what you're looking to achieve when you're meeting with a patient. That's interesting that you say that because I think like there's a misconception of of what therapists are supposed to do. Yep. yep. Um, I got I that have, from our conversation last week. That's why. Yeah. I'm like yeah. I don't have an agenda. My patient tells me what they want to work on and then I help them with the modalities I'm trained in 
to get to a place where they feel like life is more meaningful and fulfilling. Mm. So whenever patients ask me, well, Zanal, tell me what to do. Like you tell me, you know, give me advice. I just kind of put my hands up and I'm like, I don't know what you should That's do. Unfair. Yeah. I am not <laughs> an expert in your life. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I do know this modality. So let's maybe try to use this modality and by you implementing the modality, how do you get to then change your life the way that it's going to be meaningful and fulfilling for you? So as a therapist, my agenda is to share my modality okay, and to help my patient with the goals they're coming in with. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. And let's let's jump in. You said something so profound. I'm going to give you younger, younger sis. I'm going to give you credit on this one. You said, and I'm paraphrasing, clean it up because I'm going to mess it up. Live for a robust obituary, not just a one line. Clean it up. It was awesome. Whatever you said, I butchered it. That's what I tend to do. That's how I show up and I break things and then I leave. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's funny that you bring that up. Um, so... I read a book. Um, it's called Thrive. It's by Adriana Huffington. She talks about this. And um, after after reading her book, um, I've ran with it. And I think that I now live my life in this way and I talk about it because it had such a profound impact on me. So she talks about how our society, the Western world, lives to build the resume. Mm. What's the next thing that I could do? Where is the next promotion I can get? She's asking folks, because she had that same mentality until she had to change it. And can we start to live, instead of building our resumes, to build and add to our obituary? Because when I die, I don't want my family to just be like, she was a good social worker. Mm. What else are they going to say about me? Yeah. I want them to say she was loving and hilarious and the, the most sarcastic human being on the planet and, you know, loved being center of attention, but also could be very attentive in a one-on-one -on -one space and made you feel warm and loved and nurtured and pushed you to be your best self. That's what I want my obituary, hopefully, to say. That's but I'm not going to. Right. But like that's not going to be written if I'm only thinking about what's the next career ladder mm. and glass ceiling I could bust. Perfect. I love that. Right. And so I would implore all of your listeners and the world to just kind of think about, you know, how do you want to be remembered and work towards that, and maybe that includes some of your some of your resume. I want people to know that I was a therapist and I worked to 
I, I dedicated an entire career to help people, but I don't want that to be the only thing. Yeah. Right. And like, we have to, we got to check in with ourselves. Am I only working on a resume right now? And look, there's times and places for all of that. Um, you can you can work on that. Then that doesn't mean that it doesn't show other parts of you. But don't let that be the only thing that you're focused on. You know, you can you can show other parts of your being and have fulfillment, but you got to make hard choices to decide that that's what you're going to do. Um, so instead of working 90 hours a week, then maybe I'm going to do 85 and take those five and work on on myself and work on my relationships and work on my obituary the best way that I can with those five hours because I don't want to, I don't want to also kind of criminalize folks for wanting to get somewhere in their careers. That's important to them by all means, like do it. Right. Just don't remember that there's another part to life um, outside of work, outside of the pitch outside of the next startup and the next Uber and the next Airbnb and whatever. Yeah. Because how do you want to, how do what makes, what brings you meaning? What brings you fulfillment? So live to build on your obituary, not just your resume. Yeah. And you can, I think impactfulness, everyone's always striving for that and accolades, right? But that fulfillment component that you just mentioned can probably mitigate a lot of, or at least bring the dial down on a lot of the anxiety or stress that you face in your life because, hey, you're fulfilled in many capacities. You don't fill your mind with kind of noise that doesn't need to be there. I love that. That's awesome. When you said that last week, I said, oh, this is awesome. We have to make sure that gets um, get some air time. All right, I want to give you some things. So, you know, there's simple things, right? We all are going through. So some listeners, they're in a simple situation as I am. You know, and I did this to my dad. <laughs> growing up, right? You first you idolize your your mom and dad when you're growing up, and when you're and then you hit ten or twelve, twelve. I'm not going to name any mention. I'm not going to mention any names in my house, but twelve year olds, um, they start to then. It hasn't happened fully yet. I'm in the I'm on the you know on the fence. You go from idolization, then you want to hang out more with your friends, and then you demonize your parents like they don't know anything. I did this. Like my parents don't know what they're talking about. You know, my 12 years is more meaningful than their 35, 40 years right <laughs> of life. And you start to do that. And then only later after you come back from college, in my case, I was maybe a late learner, then you started to humanize your parents. And even more, especially with my my dad was, a, you know, those hard bungee hands and they would they would come down as the rapid fire, right? He was, and he could take Ali, I bet, in a fight. <laughs> At least it looked like it to me. But he was... But then he, when I think when we all got married, my brother and I, and then the grandkids came, he softened up like a little buttercup. And it was, and he was just the most amazing man in the last 20, 30 years, right? I mean, like of his life. So, and he was for everyone. He was just harsh on us growing up. And I think we do some of that. But we're like, and I'm, I'm kind of going through that struggles with, with our, our younger, older guy because he wants to hang all his friends. He should do that. He needs that. I'm still going to spoon him until he's 45. That's going to be awkward, especially when his <laughs> wife and his kids are looking at us. But, you know, that's going to be my dream. Spoon my little kid because <laughs> he's always going to be my little kid. Uh, but that's, we're all struggling with that. Some people are like, wow, we have that 10, 11, 12 year olds. And I think it happens maybe somewhat earlier for girls and they're kind of a little more t- difficult in high school years, but then they're very sympathetic and empathetic uh, for the majority of their lives after <laughs> compared to boys and men. Uh, but do you, have you heard of anything like that? Like um, any, any suggestions for us knuckleheads who are going through these kind of struggles in our personal lives right now? Sure. So let me, um, let me maybe 
validate this experience. Uh, it's a developmental stage that yes. everyone goes through. Yep. Okay. So this is not just individual to you. It's not just your kid that hates you yeah. and that and I you did hated it. I your did the parent. Same thing. We all did it. Yep. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's, it happens to you, you're like, damn, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a developmental stage. Um, children between the ages of right, like uh, 11, 12 to about 18, 19, sometimes a little bit younger, sometimes a little bit older, depending on that tra- that person. Yeah. Um, there is this period of development that they're kind of going through where their peers are most important, right? Yeah. Like those relationships are the most important. Um, they're also kind of trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. Um, and there is a sense of uh, what we would as older, you know, older adults and, and adults and parents would consider as defiance. But really, it's them just trying on yep. different personalities, aspects of themselves. They're just trying to figure out identity. Who yeah. am I as a person? And like at 11 and 12, that's not an answer you're going to come up with, right? <laughs> yeah. So you you tend to kind of gravitate towards others, your peers, that are going through something Similar to them. Similar, yeah, yeah. exactly, right? Like they're they're they don't realize that we went through that too. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's why you're you're thirty five, forty, whatever. You don't know what the hell I'm going oh, through, and you. it's Very like, sweet. look, kid, I did. <laughs> I went through it. I'm still yeah. going through it. I don't yeah. know who I am. Are you kidding yeah, exactly. me? <laughs> exactly. Um, Hopefully, I will by the end of this whiskey glass. Anyway, uh, but yeah. But um, so that's that's kind of. That's the thing, you know, I hope I can validate parents out there like you are not alone in it. We all go through it. It is supposed to be a human experience. Um, think about it from their perspective. It's very scary. Yeah. Uh, you've got right like you've got some some kids that are very sure of like what they want to do. Like I remember being in high school being like, I don't know what the hell I want to do for. Yeah. When I grow up, like you want me to make that decision at 17 so then yeah. I can find a college and then take classes for that? Like, yeah. what? And then then you've got some kids that are like, I want to be a I want to be an ex. And then mm-hmm. they just go and they are, yeah. they just do it. And then maybe, you know, someone like myself, that's just kind of like, well, I know I want to help people. I just don't know what. And I'll present that. I'll present my own challenge, and I'll give my own answer exactly dittoing on what you just said. Even when we went for the middle school orientation, the principals were up there saying, "Look, your kids are going to test boundaries. They do know what the heck's going on, and they don't know what the hell's going on. But let them go. Let them break stuff, right?" And that's exactly. And we did the same thing. Now we're showing up differently than our parents' generation. At least in our like, we're older than you guys, your generation. But like, uh, so. Our parents came straight from the parent, you know, like they came straight from overseas and they only knew one thing, work your tail off, America's a land of promise, and they achieved that, right? So then all they're thinking is like, do math. <laughs> What's basketball going to help you <laughs> play with your friends, yeah. right? Do And, and they, were, they were right in that aspect, right? Uh, but, you know, they get this because these are going to lead to whatever, a more a better potential of success. Let's call it that. So we're giving all our kids that, but then we want to push back because I, I know I've pushed pretty hard on 
math and analytical skills. And, you know, I get told to be pull back sometimes. Uh, but then we, we do that. But then we show up and we play sports more with our kids and our parents probably ever did. And But they are going to go through this like, hey, you know what? I want to hang out more. And he goes and plays basketball. And that's why he's really good. He made the travel team and all that. So he's, he's good. So we're, we're all of us parents who are in the same situation. We're like, we look at them we're like, we love these kids and they're awesome and they're going to be just fine. But dang, it's so hard right now. <laughs> Sometimes. Not all the time. I'm going to go spoon him. It's Friday night pizza night tonight. Right? Pizza and a movie night. So I'm going to spoon him. He's like, Dad, it's kind of weird. I'm like, not for me, bro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, so we do that. Um, but, you know, there's a thing that we want them to be. And just anyone, as you're, you know, when you get into this parent aspect, and then even for you, maybe not from, maybe not with your patient, but like anyone that you want to do, you want to help kind of guide them along to things that will help them in their lives. You know? So the mistakes we made, you're going to have to make some of your own, but like, we, hey, let's get there faster. I was pretty shy. You, you can tell just by looking at me. I was pretty, I'm kidding. So I'm, a, I'm an introverted expert. I want to be invited to the party, but I don't want to go. I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, at this age of my life, because like we got so many other things going on and maybe back in the, my 20s, I was all in, let's go. But um, I remember I was really shy and didn't have the confidence until in high school I just, then I learned singing. I got attention for it. And then that unlocked all the value I could bring in everything else. I started showing up better in sports and everything. And then I just didn't shut the hell up. So everyone's like, can you stop? Shut up. But it, then I went full throttle. So I'm, you try to teach these kids that. And even as some adults need to, hey, just when you're speaking, unlock and present and just go for it. Right. And just don't worry about what such and such factor is, what the outcome or what the re, you know response is going to be, or what they're thinking. Just do it. And then you can, I think then you can feel more confident in everything you show up in. I mean, I think so. I think, um, I I think that's a little bit loaded. It's hard to just (laughs) say like, don't worry. Um, I would probably just tweak that to, you know, if you're worried, then can you find a way to quiet that down a little and go do it, right? Go do it anyway. As you think. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I don't know, you know, your worry might be spot on. You sure. might say something stupid, right? But, you but might bring it back to how can pitch. you regulate it? How can you regulate exactly. that internally, right? Exactly. So like thinking, th- coming back to, okay, yeah, I'm worried. And this is, this is, feels like it's getting in the way. And how do I dial it down so it doesn't have to be a barrier anymore? Um, anything you are afraid of, right? Like if you're nervous about doing something because you're ju- you're you're worried about how you're going to get judged or you're not prepared enough, the only way you're going to find out is if you do it yeah. and then you get the data because you did it and then you can work on tweaking it later. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love it. I'm going to give you a couple of things and we'll, we'll get, we'll get going on this. Um, there's dream, you know, I, I, as I was trying to prep to like be able to sound like I'm conversational with a clinician over here, um, I'm learning some things, right? So then all these motivational quotes came up I'm like, oh, okay, let me check some of these out. It said dream builders versus dream killers, right? Make sure you're traveling with the right squad. I thought that was kind of dope, right? Because it's, it's, it's a thing of like, hey, mitigating like some of the some of the better influences and the toxic influences kind of mitigating. I want to get back to that because I think it makes a big, big difference in your life. Um, I would say one thing that's always worked like, hey, some one thing, and I would love to see if there's anything external to these kind of biocentric ways of turning things on and off for yourself. What I did for myself is when I was really nervous and I, around that singing time, I learned that and then everything else in my life, I said, whenever I'm anxious to do something, I always said, hey, 10 years from now, what would that guy say? Looking back now, would I do this or not? I got someone to propose to, I got, sorry, 
two, three different people to propose to their wives, not the same guy to three wives, but like, you know, I got to, you know, just walk over that barrier. Like, should I do this now? Should I do it? Do it. Just do it. 10 years from now, you're going to wish you had done it. Oh, you're like, oh, cool. That's easy. Sometimes I quiet my own mind when I start tripping on little stuff and I'm like, okay, 10 years from now, would you wish you'd done it? And 98% of the time I just go and do it without any fray. Is there something like that that you have that might be helpful to our listeners? Yeah, actually, so like what you're doing is already a way of um, shifting perspective and like reframing. Um, so using using timelines like that can be really helpful. Like what would your, you know, what are you going to think about this in five years or 10 years? That can be really helpful. Um, sometimes depending on the situation, it's like, well, what's the likelihood of the worst case scenario actually happening? Mm. Yeah, right. So, great. like, you might be one that just catastrophizes uh, situations, and then you, you know, go go ahead and kind of think of your history and uh, the real, like, be truthful to yourself, right? Like, the real likelihood of this worst case scenario dropping in that exact moment that you think it's going to drop. Yeah. Probably what maybe like forty, fifty percent. Maybe like the worst case scenario might happen. Um, If that, right. And it helps lighten the mood. It helps lighten the environment and the setting. You know, there's, um, so that's why I'm like, just kind of mitigate those internal and external risks that you keep placing. And then you'll jump over these hurdles. The internal hurdles is what I meant. Um, Here's another one. And I thought this was phenomenal. All right. And this is choose the difficult route in life. Sometimes it's much easier to choose the difficult path. And here's what they meant. Staying fit is difficult. But being obese is even harder, right? Um, being financially responsible is hard, but being in debt is even harder. So choose your hard. That was the message there. And I looked at this because I'm kind of tying back everything you said and what we're discussing here. There's the self-care model. Let me preemptively work out, get healthy eating habits, healthy thoughts and all of this and exercise, eating right, less expensive in the long run for you to be pay for your health right now. Or the disease care model. This is somewhat... I've seen, I've seen this in my life, right? You're forced into this when you are ill because you didn't do those preemptive things. And then, or, so you either pay for your health now or you pay a doctor for it later. Uh, do you have anything to add to those nuggets? Um, I mean, all of that, yeah. Mic drop, I, I, nothing to add, kidding. <laughs> I agree with all of that. <laughs> like, work on your wellness mm-hmm. with how your wellness looks like now rather than trying to do it later and that's something our parents always instill like right they always had you know, we're doing all this extra 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 studying and whatever joining this club doing that because it's going to be good long term we did not get it initially maybe and they were completely right right on a lot of it some of the intensity could have been pulled back a little bit right so but they were completely right as to what's going to set us up long term but then just parlay that into other things that are healthier for you now that you've gotten into other uh, chapters of your life. Yeah, um, and I would, uh, you know, I would really encourage folks to I to reflect on what does healthy look like for you, right? Healthy for you might look much different than what it looks like for me, um, sure. because we all have different life experiences and understandings and different values and different goals. So what does healthy look like for you? What is effective? Forget healthy. I don't really even yeah. like that word. Yeah. Um, what is effective for you? What comes back to you being fulfilled? 
Mm. Um, and remember, fulfillment also means having less distress as much as we possibly can. Now, there are stuff that's outside of our control, right? Like disease of someone else, disease of your own self, like uh, financial hardship, um, a recession. Like we can't, we can't, we can't control that. But there there are ways, okay, as an investor, there are ways to leverage that in your favor. Anyway, we'll talk about that on another podcast. Uh, (laughs) Sure. I mean, like for someone like me who is not an investor, I can't, I have to, I have to deal with the fact that there is inflation and recession and I have to deal with that, right? Yep. Um, There is, there's, I don't know what I could do to control that, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know what I could do to control my household and my finances as the country is going through inflation and a recession, I can make decisions that are going to be effective and quote healthy for me and my household. And like you said, or I think the quote said, you know, being financially responsible right now is hard, but being in debt is worse later. Right. Yeah. So regardless of what you do, there's always going to be a consequence. And I don't use that word to to designate that something negative is going to happen. Consequences just happen. Right. It's a cause and effect. Um, What kinds of consequences are we trying to strive for? Right. We're trying to eliminate those negative ones if we have the option to. And so that might mean that you need to make some hard choices now. So yeah, absolutely. That's I love the, it. That kind of ties back to practice. Practice your breathing exercises. Practice your 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 mental health exercises. Because when it gets bad, then you need to you use it. The oxymoron of titles, and we'll jump to the next section. Is so preemptively react. Right, set yourself up to know how to react in the future. Uh, in a lot of these things, I love this. This has been awesome, and I wanted you. I think there's so much more to hear on lock for the listener. Our trillions and trillions of listeners, because we have more than their actual people. We're that big, uh, but it's, I, I want you back if you're open to it. Um, Absolutely. Actually, and this was a test run. We're going to press record now. I'm kidding. I stole that from <laughs> another pod. Uh, let's jump into. First of all, the drink of choice, right? It's very unique. Uh, it's uncanny. <laughs> Everyone comes out with their own thing. So what, what's your story with this drink? Explain it again, the peanut butter slash something. Yeah, so it's screwball whiskey, and they have um, a peanut butter flavor. Um, this, I've, I've never been one to enjoy whiskey. It burns my esophagus. I'm like choking on it when I'm trying it. I've I've given a lot. Lies, lies. <laughs> I have tried um, a a handful of times to give it an honest an honest effort, and it always just like I feel like I just but you're, you're drinking them. the wrong whiskeys. There are some Maybe. that are smooth like butter, which well, is not good then, for your health, but you know. When I come over next, make sure you have those. No, um, absolutely. I, I think you're, when your dad was here last time, last year, I think, like everyone else was drinking. He was not. I think he gave him a beer, but everyone else was tearing it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> my dad my dad says that it hurts his stomach when he drinks. Oh, really? Um, oh, even if we'll he change takes that. a sip, I think it's just his way of saying no. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted to... Um, I picked this one because I was like, oh, this is actually something I can tolerate. So I only learned about the uh, screwball whiskey, uh, the peanut butter screwball whiskey, because of my husband, Hank. Um, 
He loves peanut butter. Oh. He loves peanut butter. I mean, like, if you like peanut butter, go ahead and add, like, 50 to that because he loves peanut oh, that's butter. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, um, he loves peanut butter. He, like, wants it in every form. Uh, and if there's ice cream or a, or a cookie or a cake or a bread or a, I don't know, like any kind of edible thing and it's peanut butter flavored, it is in our house. It will be in our house. I love it, it will have been tried because that's just how much he likes it. So um, he got this whiskey. Obviously, like I gave him major eye rolls. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how did you find a peanut butter? <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it whiskey. there a lot. That's cool. So he gets it, and I'm just kind of like, no, I don't want to try it. And, you know, um, he never he never pushes me too much to ever try something I'm, like, dead set on. No, I don't want okay. it. Well, he he wanted to mix it with something. He drinks this by itself, and he wanted to mix it with something. And all that there was in the fridge was a Fanta um, <laughs> orange flavor. So he, he's also the type of guy that's going to just, like, put weird shit together all right that, I love in, it. that you don't think is supposed to go well but then he does it and it's like oh that wasn't so bad right <laughs> so this was one of his things he's just like well what would it taste like with the orange soda in there so he, he poured the orange soda and then he's like oh my god so of course i think he's like cut himself or something because he's in the <laughs> kitchen i'm in the other room i go out i'm like what happened what happened he's like Dude, you have to drink this. It tastes like a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Oh, dude, I got to try it now. And so I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, no, this doesn't. It's not possible. I'm like, what did you put in it? Orange soda. It's mixed with orange soda, right? So weird. And so I take a sip. And sure enough, he's not wrong. It tastes like peanut butter jelly sandwiches. And like, that's just so, it's so like nostalgic for me, right? Like. I mean, who didn't grow up with peanut butter jelly sandwiches um, at some point at yeah. school, right? I still like, take them as snacks. I take them as snacks. I, they don't make it to lunch. It's usually 10 a.m. It's a snack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, I'll eat one before before I have like, a, before I go for a run or to yeah. the gym or something. It's like a yep. quick, right? Um, so I still have them at 40. And I was just so surprised that... Orange soda and screwball peanut butter whiskey tasted like a peanut butter jelly sandwich. That's so um, awesome. I'm trying to next time I come over because I keep seeing it on the shelf at the stores. I'm like, I'm not going to buy that. But, you know, I'll try it at Hank's house. Hank Bay's house. <laughs> but it looks cool. It's got a cool looking bottle. It's got big, bold lettering, right? If I recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember the bottle. And there's okay. like a, a sheep or something on there. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, I thought you were going to bring beer. So I brought beer. Because we were talking I'm about sorry. It last no, which is cool. Uh, so I actually poured a beer. I'm going to tell you this story very quickly. So you know we used to live in West New York. Um, I'm in love with Manhattan. I've always been. So we lived there. And then, you know, before. And then we moved. We bought this place right before the kids were going to be um, coming, coming into our lives uh, in West New York. And we lived there for 12 years before we sold that. Just about a year and a half ago, I think. Uh, and then we moved down, you know, down here where we are in the burbs. But it's, which is cool. It's cool, but I had so much love and infatuation for that location. A, our kids were born when we lived there. They were born at Alba's Hospital, New York Presbyterian, but they were we, we lived there. So a lot of our life early on was set there after marriage and everything, so it was amazing. Um, and 
when we were about to leave there, the last three nights in a row, I had my two closest friends, a bunch of close friends, but whoever could make it, but then two consistently showed up, Greg and Dave. They both have kids. Uh, Dave's son is Dowie. Greg's daughter is Dahlia, both exact same ages as our older kids. We knew them. I knew Greg through sports. He's a Raiders and then a Bears fan. He's been on the pod several times. Investor guy, and then he got into crypto, and I was crying. I'm kidding. But, um, (laughs) But so we... I think I fell in love with cane beer because at that restaurant, at the ferry station that we used to take into the city all the time, we were overlooking. We got it sat at a restaurant. It's a barbecue joint now. We were looking at the we were looking at the city, and I was in these phenomenal conversations about stocks, sports, whatever, with these two buddies of mine. The last couple of nights in the city that I loved, you know, looking at the city I love that I was right next to. So that's why in cane, it's a it's an IPA. I know you don't prefer those, but it's got this bit. It's got this bitterness to it. But then there's a grapefruit tinge, which kind of like it comes in. It's subtle. It's bitter, but it comes in and it's stronger. It's like a nine percent APV. So like I'm, I'm down. <laughs> then we, then I found out where we moved. The Cane Brewery is forty minutes away. Oh, nice. So we've been to it, and it's dope. And so when you guys come. If you're into beer, you're gonna love it because they have everything. It's not just IPA; they have all kinds of beer. So we're gonna we're gonna tear it up when you guys come. Love uh, it. So that's my story with that. I love it. Um, okay, so let's jump into what was the thing? Oh, it's an, oh the issue should know. Should you should know? Uh, do you have a book or anything like a book, movie content, whatever that you think that the audience should be listening to that you're really loving on right now? Does it have to be like mental health related? Or no, not it? at all. I'm hoping it's not because I need a I need some lightness in my life. Yeah. So, um, I, I, have you have you watched um, Modern Family before? Uh, of course. Um, okay. Just for the jokes, so, not for the aesthetics. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I recently my commute to work has has doubled, sometimes tripled um, what I used to do. Um, so I started listening to podcasts and, um, came across, and I have no idea, please don't ask me like how I found this. I was just kind of going through, you know, my Spotify and was looking at all the different podcasts and I was like, okay, I'll just like click this one. So it's called dinners on me. Okay. And it's with, um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson uh, he was in Modern Family. He's also okay. in Cocaine Bear, which is hilarious. I have to see that movie. I heard about it. Oh my god, I loved it. Yeah. Um. He has different, um, just kind of like different celebrities from all over. So there are actors. There's, uh, you know, well, a lot of them are actors, but um, there's also. A cook on there, like a chef, not a, cook, a chef is on a celebrity chef is on there. There's a kind of very prominent um, journalist that he's kind of interviewed with. So like the premise is like he basically takes this person out to dinner okay. and um, they're either in California or in New York. So some of the place, if you listen to them, like you may get some yeah. recommendations of where to go. Yeah. Um, they talk about the food and like, like the local place and whatnot. Um, and then just kind of about, about the person and their life, right? Like they talk about, you know, how being an immigrant celebrity is like, and the obstacles that that person had to get through. And then, you know, like, um, their, their challenges with mental health or, um, just like different types of personal to that person, that guest. Um, it's 
like 45 minutes, super easy. I just I like really just kind of enjoyed so far what, you know, each of the guests kind of bring and talk about. So, um, yeah, dinner's on me. That's, should, I love it. Okay, I'll check it. that out because I, I like, um, so I'm a nerd. I don't like to read. I like to listen to finance and business stuff. So that's my thing. It's, fa- it's faster. I absorb it better. I read it and I forget it like within two weeks where if I listen to it, I'll remember it. I can't read music even. I listen to it and I can figure out anything, but I can't read anything. It takes me a lot forever. That's just been my thing. That's, I see, I'm visualizing, I'm, I'm sorry, hearing things versus visualizing, which is 90, counter to 98% of the people in the world apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so where's it going with that? No idea. I'm going to bring up two books that kind of make sense then for what we were, A, one that kind of completely makes sense to what we were talking about this entire episode. I've brought up on the pod, I think, before. A student, actually, he's an MBA, he's an investment banker. He gave me this book, Andy Dunn. He's actually half, I think, half Jewish or half German, so there could be some internal struggles, and half Indian, right? Um, And it's kind of cool. Andy Dunn, he founded Bonobos. When he was at Stanford, he actually, he was the second guy in line. Someone else founded the idea, and he was, Bonobos was like, you know, a slightly higher end male clothing, men's clothing, fashion brand. And then of all places, Walmart acquired it for 300 mil and then they lost their shirt on it because they were trying to compete with Amazon. Let's get some sexier brands in here, try to get a ump, ump the scale of our our marketplace. Whatever that story was, it. but then he found out through a series of circumstances and things happened to him, seizures and bipolar disorder, right? Oh. And then he said, and then he's gone on a series of TED Talks, but the book is pretty interesting because he writes incredibly well. And it's just, you know, it's kind of cool to see someone writing like that. And then the struggles he went with as a founder, raising capital and all the stresses and anxieties that he had gone through. So that that book is good. Burn rate is the, and burn rate's a term we use as like, hey, what's your burn rate when we're asking a founder? That means how much money capital you're growing through every month. So then we know if you have a million and you're burning 200,000, your burn rate is five, you know, you have five months of existence or we have to come in and save you type of thing. The other book is not, incredibly well written it's a very simplistic uh, simplistically written but it was funny because you know my cousin Nick he gave it to his dad who gave it to me when we were back in Rockford a couple weeks ago a couple months ago Jesse Itzler his wife is the founder of Spanx uh-huh. so they got money um, <laughs> right? and they have homes all over but the cool thing about this book and this guy's got he's a he's a he, his, his words, he's just a white guy who lied his way into tremendous amounts of success. He lied himself into a rap career, wrote the New York Knicks theme song, and then he's got the, and a whole bunch of things. He's Zico Water, private air jet line, or whatever he did. He lied his way into everything, but it worked for him. So lie out there. Kids, get out there and just lie into your way to success. I'm kidding. But anyway, he wrote a book called Living with a Seal. David Groggins, you've probably heard of, the Navy SEAL. He was at a, con, he was at a, you know, a marathon, similar to you. I wanted to bring this up because of you. Um, he was in a marathon where it's a relay and you run for 24 hours straight, but with a team. Yeah. He showed up with his team, six people, eight people, whatever it was, but there's one guy running by himself the entire 24 hours. Oh he was my an God. ex-Navy SEAL and he went up to him and said, hey, would you live with me for a month and train me in my house? My wife's there. I have a kid there. Nothing's weird, right? And this guy showed up. He didn't know this guy well. This guy looks mean. He's he's a good looking dude, David Grimes, but he looks like he could, he could tear some stuff up if he needed sure. to, right? And stranger living in your house for a month and he tore him up and he said he they would get him up at four in the morning five and they sneak into the guy's bedroom wake him up when he was deep in sleep said we're going for a six mile run it's snowing outside he would do it eight mile run push-ups all body weight and he got in the best shape of his life so the stories about that is not it's wow. such a such an easy read i actually want my son to read it my older guy it, it, it's easy enough for him to read um a lot of swear words in it so i just i don't mind that but i don't need him saying it at school and me getting a call that's happened before 
I'm not going to say why. Um, some words were said, but that's it. So th- those are the two books. That one's called Living with a Seal, and the first one's Book Burn. I'm sorry, Burn Rate. Check those wow. out. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But thank you, Zanal. We need to have you back. This was awesome. Um, I always appreciate it. Like, I remember when we met and we were talking about it in North Carolina. I said, you need to just come on the pod and share this with everybody. I think we need to have you on for another 14 episodes. Let's do it. <laughs> cool? Yeah, I'm down. Right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.